Hey, you guys. Do you hear that noise? It sort of sounds like... Like maybe crickets chirping? Or maybe it's the sound of, like, metal gears grinding against each other? No, that's, that's not it. Maybe it's the sound of a sonic weapon. In 2016, over 20 American diplomats in Havana, Cuba became very sick because of a noise. Not just any noise, but a noise that reportedly made them lose their hearing, their cognitive functions, and even led to permanent brain injury. Not just any noise, but a noise that no one else on the entire island of Cuba but these few people could hear. Not just any noise, but a weapon. My name is Marie Mayhew, and my new podcast will examine what happened in Havana 2016 that led up to these 20-some-odd people becoming ill. We will look at Cuba and the American history, the people involved, the possible scientific cause of this mystery, both the incredible myth and the even weirder truth. So that noise you hear, if we strip away the impossible, whatever remains Maybe what and who caused it. Join me on the Whatever Remains podcast for season one, Sonic Attack, coming in May, available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So keep listening. Nice. Nice. Sweet. Nice. Tell you what, Marie, getting a bit of pushback on Twitter about the Bruce Springsteen comments. One of the hosts might have made. That you hated the boss? You mean those comments? Yeah, those ones. Oh, okay, because I know they didn't come from me. I mean, I'm all about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't stop the fire. Yeah. I love him. Come on. He's in his jersey, man. Why? What are people saying? People are saying that you're a commie pinko scum. Something like that. Anyways, no, good, good friend of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. R- Rob mm-hmm. is just giving me a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. a little, little bit of ribbon on Twitter here, which is totally good. Um, mm-hmm. That is, uh, that is uh, Rob Demi. Thanks so much for following the show so much. Good fan. One of our earliest fans. Killing This guy's great. So awesome. And clearly superior music day. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dear listeners, today's episode, we are doing economic collapse. Okay, um, and the E Street Band, amazing musicians, amazing. Even if you don't like Springsteen's music, if you step back and look at, like, kind of his general, like, the scope of his work and the musicians he's worked in and the influence he's had as from where he came from and kind of how he got started in what he did it's pretty amazing mm. what are we talking mm. about again i don't remember <laughs> um we're we're on we're on part three of economic collapse this is the final episode oh, of economic yes. collapse listeners yes yes so yes, 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 yes. Uh, today's episode we're going to talk about some crazy stuff we're going to talk about how the economic economic collapse is coming so get ready for that and uh we're going to talk about how to, we're going to talk about how to prepare for it more efficiently than you might be doing currently balance your checkbook I'm joking. Nobody has a checkbook anymore. No, hide your gold. All right. Let's let's bury your gold like pirates. <laughs> let's get into it. All right, Marie. So uh okay that's the big takeaway that is the big takeaway bury your gold like a pirate um we all eventually become pirates again so last episode last episode we got up to the point basically we got up to the point where the disparity in wealth and economic problems had gotten so bad that we decided to overthrow the regimes of like all of our countries yes Right. Yes. And it was such an it was such an either I want to say oligarch, which I think is right, like or a monarchy. And yeah, people yeah. were 
so poor. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so one of the really important, so, and this is actually going to be what we see happen. Like that's really the story of the Soviet union as well is, you know, when the monarchies that didn't get turned over during this first kind of wave, which kind of kicks off with the American revolution in 1776, then the French revolution shortly thereafter, uh, those two kicked off, kicked it off. And the, the monarchies that remained after that, the English monarchy, the German, the Austrian Hungarian empire monarchy, and the Russian monarchy all kind of had their own fallings over time that basically are still the ripple effects that we're dealing with in the modern day. Right. So the end of the Russian monarchy brought us, uh, brought us communism in the Soviet union, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was their own response to those economic disparities. Whereas in the, in America and in France, we, uh, America more so than France, let's say America decided to go for kind of an all out, like capitalist system over a monarchy. <laughs> France sort of went towards capitalism, but then kind of back towards another kind of monarchy or a military leadership government, then back to a dip- all kinds of weird stuff, whatever. The French Revolution, the American Revolution are both way, yeah. way complicated. Uh, but you see, like, the English monarchy is still around, but basically have no power, really. Besides, Figureheads. Yeah, besides the power of, like, fashion and, you know, whatever. They have no... <laughs> and again, this is gonna go. This is gonna go down like Bruce Springsteen, man. I'm giving you a chance now. <laughs> I will say, so I'm not a big fan of like the British monarchy, but you know, Prince Harry m- marrying Meghan. I can't even remember her last name. I was like, that's an amazing, like that's a great story. And again, it's sort of like the monarchy coming into the post-colonial you know, post sort of almost post-industrial world and him marrying this, this commoner American divorced minority is crazy and is Mm -hmm. amazing. And is such a good, like to me, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's good. That's good for them. I mean, granted they're figureheads, they're cultural figureheads, they're significant still, but I'm, yeah, I hear you. They're not, they don't really hold the same, sway over well we say that but you know the queen meets the queen meets on a regular basis with all the prime ministers with she's probably kind of still heavily it's kind you know has her fingers on the scale of what's going on right it's sort of the only one that's still a thing <laughs> right in any kind of way with any kind of yes yeah, serious yeah. weight to all it all the yeah. other monarchies have fallen away right but yes in the wake of those falling outs we have these big changes so we're, and we're kind of we're mostly talking about America here just because that's kind of where our show comes from, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look Russia at, was bloody. Russia, Russia was, was so bloody. Russia was very I mean, we were bloody too, but it's a different uh, kind of bloody. We didn't have like kinda. gulags and you know what I mean? <laughs> like I would say, bad. yeah, we were we were bloody. France was bloody, but Russia just was like, you know, they were had that little soupçon more bloodiness yeah. and Ru- violence to it. Yeah. And you see that, though, too, with even, say, in some ways, the the end of German imperialism led to World War II, right? Led to the rise of fascism in Germany. The assassination of Archduke. Right. Archduke Ferdinand. Right. So it's these revolutions are not it's they're they're still happening and we still see them even in the modern day where these economic conditions lead to problems like say terrorism which then leads to ultimately um in the best case uh, revolution and then democratization but in the worst cases it leads to just kind of sectarian strife and uh terrorism generally right which is how some other countries would define democracy right (laughs) yes so um (laughs) So where, okay, so the United States' economic policies really kind of start with a guy named Adam Smith. Now, Adam Smith was a uh, a very, he's a very, very famous Scottish economist and philosopher. Um, And his, primarily the most important book that he wrote in many people's minds is The Wealth of Nations. Now, (laughs) here's a kind of a quote that I think really, I think this is a good way to kind of, talk about uh, 
what he thought about generally kind of the world. So he said, quote, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. We address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love, and never talk to them of our own necessities, but of their advantages. So, basically, Adam Smith's view of economics and of the world generally revolved around the selfishness of individuals, right? I mean, that's one way of reading it. There's more... I guess you could say more charitable readings of it, right? It's an, it's a, mm-hmm. just the natural way things are or whatever. Right. But that's basically what's, what's coming to be known as the invisible hand, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, there is a guiding principle in the world that all things are selfish. All things are basically everything is in a fight to survive. And so in Smith's mind, uh, the economy basically will cover that fight for survival and lead to winners and losers in a, in a good kind of way. Adam Smith had this idea of the invisible hand of the market, laissez-faire, right? Basically just like economics, the economic system itself would, would basically fix things, the right? The will self-right. Yeah. And so the idea was that things would, uh, things would settle themselves out. Like you said, the ship will right itself, right? There's this idea of, mm-hmm. of economic equilibrium. And in particular, right and an idea that we spoke about last time which is that the market uh the market clears the market will clear itself right so if there is unemployment it will get filled by people uh basically the idea is that nature hates a vacuum and so where there is opportunity either in selling goods for less or making money or hiring more people or whatever that the economy the market will fix itself automatically almost which sounds like it should work. Like logically, if you look at that, and even somewhat scientifically, it sounds like a good idea, right? It's yeah, it sounds like a fun idea. Sounds true. Doesn't work. Okay, but yeah. um, but that doesn't happen. No. <laughs> right. No. Um. So Ergo the the class and wealth discrepancy in any nation. Yeah, and so the big thing that caused people to disbelieve this idea of, um, of, of what's known as Say's law, basically, which mm-hmm. is that aggregate production necessarily creates an equal quantity of aggregate demand. Okay. So in mm-hmm. other words, if I, if I make 50 iPhones, I'm going to create the demand for 50 iPhones. When you say it like that, or get it's an arrested. Ins- when you <laughs> well, okay. When you say it like that, though, it seems obviously insane, right? Like, what do you mean? No, of course not. You can make extra stuff, and people won't want it. Like that happens all the time. Yes, yes, you it know, does. yes, it. And does. so the thing that in particular caused people to start to really question this idea was the Great Depression. Okay. The Great Depression is too complicated for us to get into right now. But what happened was... Even it, though it is, it is the economic collapse. Yes, right? it is the That's, economic collapse. That is, that is the collapse right, right there. For um, America, at least. That is definitely the, the collapse for America. We're trying to give broad strokes here, Marie. So big broad strokes, yeah. Big broad yes. strokes. Yes. So the Great Depression uh, generally led people to begin to think about this idea that um, that the market will not clear itself. And so instead, there must be some imperfections in the adjustment mechanism of the market. And specifically, there must be rigidities and market price, what's known as stickiness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was the work that John Maynard Keynes became so famous for and Keynesian mm-hmm. economics. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is that idea. So uh, what the idea. Well, and the, and that the market itself, the market itself cannot regulate itself necessarily in so much as it has to have some kind of guidance from the government as well. After the yeah. great depression, that was the other, if you don't have stimulus, if you don't have incentive, if you don't have sort of, that type of it, it's the opposite of laissez-faire you have to have some type of governance or else you know like the new deal or else 
you will you will not be able to rebuild from something like that without war, which yeah. is really again the other thing that brought us out. Yeah. So the the main the main theory that was going on, okay, was what is known as was quantity mm -hmm. theory. That was what dominated macroeconomics um, until basically the Great Depression. Okay. The idea here was developed mostly by Irving Fisher, but there are some other people who had parts here, but they use this general equation, okay, which is that uh, the money supply times the money velocity is equal <laughs> to the price level and the amount of real income in an economy. How can money have velocity? So what, what money velocity means is it's the frequency at which money is used in transactions. So basically, how quickly is money leaving? Okay. So you can think about this as it's the money supply times it's how... Out, it's your outgoing. Exactly. It's okay. output equals input, basically. Okay. okay? So it's, yes. it's the money supply times the rate at which money leaves the supply is equal to the price of things that are going in and out and the amount of real income available. Mm, okay. okay, and now this is for macroeconomics. So this is for an entire economy. Yes. Okay, what they didn't take into account here in particular, and this is what made Keynes such an important uh, person, is that money itself in times of depression or in times of, of economic hardship Money becomes hoarded. And so that money velocity what? is not yes. constant. Yes. So he said that economic output is correlated with money velocity. So people, this is, this is a quote straight from Wikipedia here, people. So, quote, people increase their money holdings during times of economic difficulty by reducing their spending, which further slows the economy. This paradox of thrift claimed that individual attempts to survive a downturn only worsen it. When the mm -hmm. demand for money increases, money velocity slows. A slowdown in economic activities means markets might not clear, <laughs> leaving excess goods to waste and capacity to idle. So Keynes basically said that the market will actually shift the quantities of things that are being taken or put in or whatever. Okay, as opposed to the speed at which prices will change or the speed at which money will actually be spent. So yeah. it was no longer that the demand and the supply basically caused each other in this weird way, and therefore the speed at which money was spent would change. Instead, what Keen said was, no, money itself is its own good in some ways. And we need to account for people holding on to or not holding on to money in times of downturn or in times of good economic policies. Right. And Which so, is what, yeah, with the run on the bank, people like hoarding and, and keeping their money without spending it. Absolutely. So or, Keynes, you know, supplier, what is it? Uh, consumer confidence. Absolutely. And that is why all that stuff became so important. So mm -hmm. John Maynard Keynes basically set up the current view of economics that we have. It's, it's his idea, basically, <laughs> that we build off of. And there are, some, there are some newer ideas as well that are out there, right? So um, there are ideas about how uh, you, the economy has an equilibrium, right? So as we got better at mathematics, we also got better at applying mathematics to complicated systems like economics. So um, these equilibrium theories basically have... It, it's similar to hunter prey diagrams i don't know marie if you know what those are mm, i might but you know for for the uh you know for the v listeners out there who need a refresher okay sure so okay i met um a lot of a lot of dynamic systems in nature behave like hunter and prey populations do in nature so imagine that we were graphing or charting the amount of rabbits versus the amount of hawks inside of a forest clearing Mm -hmm. Right. You would expect that as the amount of hawks goes up, the amount of rabbits should go down. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the hawks mm -hmm. will eat all the rabbits, mm -hmm. but eventually the population of rabbits will get so low that hawks start to starve to death. And that oh, will cause okay. the rabbit population to increase again. Oh. Right. 
So if you mm-hmm. chart them, if you chart them over time, then they have a dynamic relationship to each other, where the population of hawks will rise, it'll heat, hit a maximum, and then it will decrease again and hit a minimum. And as the hawk population hits a minimum, the rabbit population hit, hits its maximum. Okay. And vice versa. Uh huh. Okay. That kind of equation type describes chemical reactions. It describes the economy. It describes uh, springs on on uh, the forces on springs. It describes all kinds of important systems for us in the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. What it in what it in particular suggests, which is very fascinating, is an idea of an equilibrium state. So if you took, uh, if you drew like the center line or the average of like the rabbit population versus the hawk population, you would find that those averages are basically in between that maximum and the minimum. Mm-hmm. And the natural system seems tuned in such a way as to keep those values within that equilibrium range. That makes sense to you. Okay. So like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now what's interesting with these systems though, is what if you add an impulse to that system? So, for instance, let's say because you and I, Marie, are uh, bad people, we we decide uncertainty to it. Well, besides uncertainty, let's let's take something even more simple than that. What if we release an extra five hundred hawks into the environment? Oh, okay, okay, right? Yes. Your Mm -hmm. population now, the that impulse has put it off of equilibrium. Mm -hmm. In fact, you've broken equilibrium. You've basically added so many hawks. Or you could add so many hawks that the system will not naturally be able to right itself. And then you basically have so many hawks that all of the rabbits get eaten. Yes, but you don't even need sort of that factor, right? Because you would even have an uncertainty of like the weather, right? Yes. And an economic anything, which is just in your analogy. If you have hawks, you have rabbits, let's the weather of what, you know, of any of any given could be just any kind of external force that's outside of a action of of um a, an action from people necess- not not i'm trying a deliberate action to yes. make a mitigating circumstance within the market you also have the uncertainty of like well what happens if there is famine what happens if there is x what happens if there is y is going to all of a sudden change up all the variables about the hawks and the and the rabbits. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah, 100%, right? So there might be a, a deep, deep freeze that winter that mm-hmm. kills all the rabbits, right? There kills might be, all the bunnies, yes. There might be a mm-hmm. freeze, you know, right. There's And so mm-hmm. in, in really complicated systems, there's like hundreds of thousands of variables that could affect the dynamics right. of a system. And in an, econ- in, in, in an economic system, it is one of the most complex systems. Right. So all kinds of stuff can affect it. And so that's kind of that's really, you know, in a simplified way, that is where we find ourselves today with economics is we have these very, very complicated dynamic systems. But but if you start to trade on the complicated dynamic systems, right, that's that is sort of your derivatives. Well, and so. Right. And that's where we now get to the point where. Sorry. When, no, no, it's fine. I got when, ahead of myself. It's fine. When the economy, when, when these economic <laughs> principles were foot, first put into place, even by, say, Keynes, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't that far removed from the gold standard. Yeah, so we were hoping that things were just going to be simpler. And so, wanna, <laughs> Marie, why don't you tell us what's, the, what's that big shift? What is the shift between, say, gold and fiat currency for us? Or what does it change? What does it do for us? So gold is, again, it's fixed based on the commodity of gold, and we all understand what the commodity of gold is. Fiat is we're going to move to almost, I want to say, like, the best way I describe it is like a faith-based, a faith-based system that's 100%. saying that we don't, we have nothing that is tied to this, this paper or these shells or this whatever it is or these coins that's not based on any type of of any type of commodity market that's worth anything it is only based on what on on what the government says its value is and so it takes an incredible like suspension of belief 
which is something that we all do anyways, to make sure that a fiat system works, which is the predominant it's the predominant move away from from the gold market because gold you there's only so much gold out there and it's impossible to travel and trade with and you have to be able to move into 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 the fiat system meaning something roughly equivalent to gold yeah right so- i mean it's and it's sort of like right now even even extrapolating it further than the fiat system would be like a bitcoin Right, which is even I think even one one step even further removed from um, at least a fiat system. You can say, hey, we as America work with certain federal institutions like the Fed, and we have we have agreed that we will put out this much currency on paper into the into the market, and it's going to be worth this. And everyone says, yes, we can agree on it, and the markets will trade as such. The you know our our financial operating system will respect it as such, but then all of a sudden you get uh, cryptocurrency, and cryptocurrency could just throw a monkey wrench into anything and saying, "Hey, I am now going to take this smaller group of people, and I am going to, I'm going to validate that this market is actually worth this now for this crypto coin, and start trading in it as its own fiat system, which is a derivative or a, a variant to." American currency or any yeah. currency, which is crazy because it's a virtual currency, which even makes less sense to me. <laughs> like my eyes start to bleed every time I start to think of the migration. Like again, like gold, if you think about it, like gold doesn't mean anything. You can't build anything out of gold. It's shiny and pretty. Fiat, it's a huge suspension of belief, but you know, it's like it's got a whole bunch of systems that are validating and propping it up. Bitcoin? No idea what that is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I might be old-fashioned, but I like my folding money. Um, but seriously, like, or even with credit, you know, or with anything that... I tend to think of it with any type of, any type of, quote-unquote, money, which all of a sudden is beyond, becomes almost circumstantial or is not based in any type of physicality, is... is an amazing suspension of belief for any kind of market to be able to, to validate and sustain. Yeah. Okay. So basically here's what, here's what kind of occurred. (laughs) The United States had gold as its main, basically as the way that the dollar was fixed in price Mm -hmm. until the seventies, until Nixon. No. Uh, Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt said we were going to move away from the standard. No, no, we moved away from right. the gold standard, but the the value of a dollar oh, dollar of gold was, was okay. still fixed to the value of a certain amount of of, of dollar. Dig right. It. So they so the United States had the Bretton Woods system after World War II that said that gold was thirty five dollars per ounce. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. dollar was was set to the price of gold still, although it was not you you could not like it, it wasn't it wasn't a gold standard in the sense that uh, the government gave gold out and then how money came in, okay? Mm-hmm. But Nixon basically said, we're no longer going to do that because there was a lot of problems where people were, uh, during the, the 60s, people were starting to trade in their dollars for gold again. Mm-hmm. And Nixon was like, we're not going to do that. There's no way. And he stopped that from happening. Mm-hmm. And instead then created the Federal Reserve, uh, gave the, the charge to the Federal Reserve system Mm-hmm. that uh, the the value of US dollars would be would be decided by them. Right. Right. Yes. So uh, them based on market indicators based on, still based on the the cost of gold in some respects. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and right, and also based on based on uh how much bonds could the government sell to people? Yes. Right? Yes. Um so it's it's very complicated, right? But basically, it's, it's, it's basically this idea that the dollar is set up, or the value of the dollar, okay, mm-hmm. is set up basically where, uh, how much money would foreign governments give for a dollar? Yes. <laughs> okay? And then how much, uh, how much do we want to say and set the price of a dollar for? All right? Which, it's also heavily reliant on how much we would say their currency is worth. Too. Yes. Yeah. Right? Or how much how much debt are we willing to take in each other's currency? 
Yeah. So it's 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 at this point, the dollar is basically not anchored to anything ultimately. No, man, we're just out there. We out there just it is just letting off freak flag fly with our money, man. It is legitimate, and that's what and that's where a lot of these concerns about say (laughs) economic collapse come in. All right, where people say the dollar is not tied to anything. What if? What if the government collapses and suddenly the value of the dollar is zero? Or what if, uh, what if, you know, China becomes a dominant market force and they say, actually, no, we don't want dollars anymore. Right. Yeah. Or what if, uh, what if say, I mean, any number of things could occur. Right. 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 And so that's where the fear comes in now that the dollar has no, just it's true for all i mean this was true for fiat currencies before the dollar too there is nothing tying it to anything physical and so some people think we should go back to say the gold standard it's just kind of crazy okay so that's kind of where we are greetings from evergreen podcasts we're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. All right. And also too, with markets, like I would say any kind of financial market has this huge amount of variability in it. And you're like, again, with derivatives, futures, you're basically hedging bets and trading on things that don't exist. It exists in a very hypothetical sense, and you're saying we will make money or lose money based on what could happen based on this outcome. And how much of that outcome comes true will be how much money you can perhaps realize, or even like derivatives themselves are just this crazy, crazy, and they're not meant to be understood. That's the other thing I think that gets lost in all of this. There's so much about financial institutions and markets and how we trade and how we evaluate money that people make complicated yeah well well, companies make that more difficult than it should be because then you don't know what's going on well so okay a big a big part of how the dollar gets set in its price Mm -hmm. and a a way a big part way of the the, a big part of the way that the value of like the market itself is determined is the government will issue government bonds and what those are, are they are uh, low or they're rather, uh, they're very, very low risk or they're considered very low risk items mm-hmm. that I will put out, say, I'm a government. I'll say, I'll, I'll give you, you can buy a bond for $100 and in 50 years, I will give you, you know, whatever, $115, let's say, right? Yeah. That's a crazy high yield, but let's say I did it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would buy that the government would get funded at the moment. And in 50 years, you would be able to say, well, I have this government bond. It's low risk. And I expect that in 50 years, I'm going to then bring in $115 on every hundred dollar I spent for the government. Right. The, the reason the stock in the country, it is. And the reason the government does is, is it says, look at how many people expect the government to last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Great, right? And it builds confidence in the value of the dollar. It builds confidence in the the say of the government itself. So that's a really important way that the money or, or, or right. that the economy gets built. Now, on top of that, though, there are very high risk vehicles, which is what Marie was talking about just now, like derivative products, right? Mm-hmm. So one of my favorites was what's known as a butterfly swap. Mm-hmm. Basically, what that is is it's it's two big banks decide to trade risk with each other. <laughs> and they both have different computer mm-hmm. systems and equations mm-hmm. that determine mm-hmm. volatility or the risk of their, say, stock or whatever they're buying. 
And so they'll trade it to each other to lower each other's relative risk. Now, we talked in the first episode about risk generally, where we said, like, I loan money to Betty, but Betty is really good at paying back her debts, and I know Betty has a solid job. So I consider that to be very low risk. But let's say that I've also traded money to Billy, and Billy is a drunkard who doesn't pay his debts at all. Deadbeat. Okay, Billy's a deadbeat. Well, the amount of money I loaned to Billy... I might not ever get that back. There's a good chance I won't. So it's very high risk. So what, right. what would make sense from my point of view, if I could trick them into doing it or convince them into doing it, I guess, is what if I told, what if I was able to trade some of the amount of money that I owe or that Betty owes me and say, well, actually now, Betty, I want you to be owed by Billy instead. So Betty owes me 50 mm-hmm. bucks. Billy owes me 20 bucks. I'll say, you know what, Billy, instead of you giving me 20 bucks, you give it to Betty. And Betty, you give me 40 bucks. Right. So I'm giving I'm giving the risk to Betty for ten dollars. She's making ten dollars on it. I'm still getting back my forty dollars and Billy gets to keep drinking. (laughs) Assuming that wasn't his last twenty dollars or whatever, ten dollars. Right, even if it was, even it, it, how much you go into debt could be traded. Yes, yes. Right? So how how poor your debt is is, and what are the, what's the likelihood of getting paid off? Because the payoff of that dollar is still that that hypothetical payback is still worth something, even if you may, even if Billy has is like pretty much drunk under the bar stool. If there's a chance he's going to pay somebody back, that that money is valued still out there. at something. Yeah, and so that's actually that's actually partly why that's partly why there is there seems to be a a point at which you can be so rich that you can never go bankrupt or you can never go broke. Right. Because you are in so hard to so many people for so much money that it makes sense for them to continue to loan you money just to get rid of their own risk than it does for them mm-hmm. to call your debt and have all that money go away. This is also known as too big to fail yes exactly so it's it's the economy went from being so even 50 years ago 60 years ago, i gotta go you gotta go we'll trade goats right how simple that was being so simple to being Mm. complicated to the point that the people making the trades at the major banking institutions don't even know what they're ultimately like there's no they're not trading anything. They're trading how scared they are that they're going to go bankrupt. Yes. Or even better, how, how, how soon will another country go bankrupt? Right. How soon, how soon will, you know, whatever they're doing take effect into a different market or even like even, but I mean, we're talking in very huge general terms, like derivatives could be, small little bits and pieces I, like i can't even think of a like a good equivalent like a good metaphor it's like the crumbs that you find under the sofa could be swept together and that's a derivative market because there's there's no human hand driving a lot of the derivative markets all it's all algorithms right so right. like one of my absolute favorite stories comes from a frontline um which is on i want to say oh my god National Public Radio, um, public broadcast has Frontline, and it's on the financial market. It came out, I want to say, some years ago now, and it talks about the bubble and what happened and what in ha- all of these different sort of factors that drove us towards mm-hmm. the 2008 crash. And one of the things was the derivative market, and that we really didn't understand what we were doing because if you were a certain type of trader within sort of a Bear Stearns or Goldman Sachs or, you know, a, um, any of the big firms, all you had to do to create a new derivative was, push, uh, was pushing a certain, a certain program through your computer. And so they called them F, I think it was F8 or F9 monkeys. I was an F9 monkey. And you're creating a derivative market that you are encouraging um, a country, an individual, a um any type of market to buy into 
mm-hmm. and you don't even understand the full ramifications of what you're doing because there's such it's 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 not existing in any in any real in any real terminology or any real world and it's like the amount of complication that we decided to put ourselves to bear and put other countries to bear is staggering and watching that episode if you have a chance to anything on frontline is really really good but this was like i got done with it and i just i just you know i just curled up with my piggy bank and wept (laughs) yeah it's pretty it's pretty scary (laughs) but you know again but there's for every i think for every it's an emotional it's it is an emotional reaction because there is they even say this in the frontline um episode is you're banking on the fact that somebody doesn't know what you're doing like that type of obscurity and that type of confidence and it being a confidence game is a part of any kind of market you will believe that this will make money because i tell you that it makes money because i'm an accredited institution and all of my all of my portfolio trades on Moody for five stars or whatever it is, like it's highly valued, right? So you have all these other auxiliary things propping it up that's saying, hey, no, this is this this is real, right? If one of those things starts to teeter, the whole thing can come down in yeah. a lot of ways. It is yes. it is a pretty nuanced house of cards. It is extremely complicated and uh just fascinating in my in my opinion it's very fascinating it is it is so all right so it's a house of cards <laughs> it all is gonna come crashing nothing, down nothing like a little fear up in there huh no Sorry right so um so probably the most important um probably one of the most important ones that came after the financial crisis was the dodd frank wall street reform and consumer protection oh. act yes Yes. Which is so tremendously ginormous. Yes. That it's hard to fully understand. Okay. But yes. the basic idea was to um the basic idea was to try to stop the things that had caused the Great Recession. Right? It was it was the idea that um that you can't be it's so complicated, Marie, well, that it is so- hard to understand. Basically, how I understand it is if you are a bank, you cannot be a trading institution. So if you are a bank and you, are, you have a group of people that, have, um, that are holding money with you, you cannot have a separate arm that is trying to take that money from them necessarily. Yes. It's this, it's this, it's this separation to keep everything above board, to try and rectify what happened with uh subprime right Mm. so it's it's trying to say hey if you're a bank you can't be doing this stuff and that lasted that and it was it was a very important i think it was very important because it did it did try and restructure and and reaffirm some confidence that you know again that this is these two things should be held separately yeah. But it also lasted for what like a hot minute like they repealed Dodd Frank as quickly as it came. They did. Now one of the important things that it did, it did bring into the idea or the public viewpoint, though, mm-hmm. is that banks should probably be required to hold a certain amount of capital on hand that if they do fail or mm-hmm. if they do make a bunch of bad bets and things go terribly, they will mm-hmm. not completely destroy the economy by failing themselves. Which, again, is common sense. It's- <laughs> you should not write checks. Your butt can't cash. Yeah, right? but that's, yeah. I mean, that's basically <gasps> the idea. Um, All right, let's talk about room. Let's just get straight to it. Okay. Let's let's, let's just let's just let's just f this M and F are all up. Okay. So this is I got a couple of websites here, Marie. I'm going to mm-hmm. read to you. Okay. Uh, this is what I want to do. I want to read to you some of these these guides, mm-hmm. and I want your opinion on them. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So this awesome. is from thebalance.com. Mm-hmm. It's titled very helpfully: U.S. Economy Collapse. What will happen? How to prepare. Okay. Okay. It's by Kimberly Amadeo. Mm -hmm. um, Do I need to know anything about her yet? Where's she from? Yeah. So she is a 20 year senior level corporate experience in economic analysis and business strategy. She -hmm. received a master's of science and management from the Sloan School of Business at MIT. Mm, Okay. 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 So she's pretty, it seems like she's pretty good. Yeah. She's no Krugman, but she's okay. (laughs) No, she's fine. Okay. 
All right. Uh, why, when would the U.S. economy collapse? She says, mm-hmm. any of the six following s- scenarios could create an economic collapse. Ooh, One. Six. Okay. If the U.S. dollar rapidly loses value, it would create hyperinflation. Okay. Yep. Could be. Yeah. Could right? be. Well, yeah, again. Yes. Um, that's, the Fed would have to, the Fed would have to do that and it would have to be a reason for, yes, yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. There would have to be, um, there would have to be a bank run could force banks to close or even go out of business, cutting off lending and even cash withdrawals. Okay. Yeah. Could be. Mm-hmm. Those right. are kind of, those are kind of the classic ones. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's a run on the bank. It's kind of, yeah, it's your, it's your, it's your big, yeah, it's the greatest hits. Yeah. Three, the internet could become paralyzed with a super virus preventing emails and online transactions. Oh, well, that's going to be like, that's a whole bigger thing too. Yeah. But that's fascinating because we don't realize all of, all of banking gets done online now. It's not like phone calls and stuff like that anymore. And even phone calls are on cell phones, right? So, yeah, that could be a problem. Um, Did you, really quick, have you watched uh, Mr. Robot? No. Oh, my God. All right, people, we're great. This is, you're learning a lot. Y'all need to go and watch, like, it's up to its fourth season. It's about that, basically. It is amazingly good. Great, great. Good stuff, good stuff. Oh, my God, so good. Okay, Okay, sorry. Keep going. Um, No, no, it's it's no problem at all. Okay. There's, um, there's terrorist attacks or a massive oil embargo could halt interstate trucking. Grocery stores would soon run out of food. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, I can see that. I don't know about that. Like, you don't like that one? Well, so that's sort of a slow moving. Like, I would think that that would be part of some other bigger thing happening, right? Because uh-huh. it's like an embargo on oil wouldn't stop trucking for some time and that would be something that would be i mean i don't know again like it depends on how much of your food you're getting from other places you know, there's a lot to that that seems like that that doesn't that would slow it down but i don't know again i'm i'm certain that this person from mit maybe has thought this through a little bit more than i have but i'm just saying you know <laughs> i i give that one i give that one maybe a 40 percent, 30 to 40 percent. it's good it's good stuff um okay there is um, widespread violence erupts across the nation. This could range from inner city riots, a civil war, or a foreign military attack. Hmm. It's possible that a combination of these events uh, could overwhelm the government's ability to prevent or respond to a collapse. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could see that one happening. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, with that. There is also, so this is my favorite uh-huh. because it's kind of, I think it's kind of crazy. Some believe the Federal Reserve, the president, or an international conspiracy are driving the United States towards economic ruin. What? If that's the case, the economy that. could collapse in as little as a week. That's because it's run on confidence that debts will be repaid, food and gas will be available when you need it, and that you'll get paid for this week's work. If a large enough piece stops... If a large enough piece of that stops for even several days, it creates mm-hmm. a chain reaction that leads to a rapid collapse. Mm. You don't like it? Yeah, well, um, well, again, yeah, I think, yes, yes. I think, so if something happens, you have a big enough turn in people's, it, it is, it's like we were saying, it's all a confidence game. If you stop believing in the market, the market will fail. But for everything that you have that's that would like so why would the bank at the federal reserve want to tank the market that's the other thing i don't understand why would it why would a government want to tank its own market so here okay so here's the thing what well, here's to, the to thing, buy right? it to buy it out again cheaper like that to me know. is like because the well, lizards like, the lizards are finally hatched and they're ready to the take lizards, over. Right. I mean that's a lot to that, right? It's like I mean that's it, the part that's the part of this that we keep missing too, is that yeah. gold is inherently valuable because the lizard people need it for their ship. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, completely duh. Wild. I mean, dude, that's sort of remedial, don't you think? Hundo Hundo Paseno Marie. Solid. Take that, that one to the bank. So, take that one to Fort Knox, bibis. The one I like about this, the mm-hmm. one the, the part that I like about this one though is to me. 
it actually doesn't even matter if it's actually if that's actually true. I would like to propose a seventh thing that could cause an economic collapse, maybe. Okay. And I'm being okay. I'm being serious here. I think this actually could be a big deal. Okay. <sighs> All right. So much of the market is based on confidence. Mm -hmm. Forget what if the government means to actually do that to actually collapse the economy. Mm -hmm. What if we trick enough people into believing that that's the case? There's what twenty percent mm -hmm. of the population believes in conspiracy theories. Yes, right? but how much money do they have in the bank to take a run on it? And how Does influential it... how influential is them to is that population to create that trigger? I think right? I think that we are vastly underestimating the that? ability of that population to cause some crap. I'm I'm dead serious. Like I'm dead serious here. I think that we are vastly underestimating it. They don't define yeah. the market. Right, they don't define any of that stuff, but there's the mm -hmm. they're the ones buying things, right? They're the ones that because again, it doesn't even have to be that a huge number of them decide to pull all their money out of the bank or whatever. It doesn't have to be any of that kind of stuff. Okay. Right. You just have to have them believe it. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, what if it creates such mm -hmm. instability in the American mm -hmm. political system or the American social system or whatever? That mm -hmm. other governments decide, you know what, the United States isn't isn't worth dealing with. Mm -hmm. That's that's the part of this that I think is actually yeah. quite fascinating. So I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that only in the respect that I think my theory would be the flip side, which is all it would take would be one quasi major institution to go out, like a um, a Bank of America or. Again, like a Lehman Brothers, when Lehman Brothers went out, that's when, you know, <clears throat> stuff got real really fast. Mm -hmm. That's when foreign markets started to be like, this is now, you know, this is now your major perceived financial institutions are failing. The thing that it was too big to fail is failed. It's starting mm -hmm. to fail. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, again, the whole idea behind it was, um, was them saying, no, go ahead, let Lehman Brothers go down because, again, the market will write itself. There's, you know, this is, if this is going to happen, we have to take it in and adjust to it. And as soon as it happened, everything hit the fan. And that's when, like, again, stuff started to start, that confidence began to crumble. I think it would take something, if something like that happened, it would be a much faster fall than a, cons a consumer, a smaller consumer base that leans towards a conspiracy is because again, like the conspiracist, that market is already because how does that market and how does the twenty percent that believe in that what sway or what what tie do they have to a federal institution to make that? valid do you know what i mean it's like they don't believe in the federal government anyways that's the thing they right? don't they don't have to believe in the federal government okay. in fact in fact it might be better if they don't right. all that they would need to do is mm -hmm. start to uh become violent would be to start to become uh, to vote in people in power that are conspiracy minded like they are mm -hmm. to uh to basically uh, do things like with uh I mean, I, I, I just see, mm -hmm. I just think that it's, I think it's a more interesting or a more worthy discussion. I don't think, I don't think we ever thought that say, and again, regardless of, regardless of what you think of Donald oh, Trump or not as president. I was going to say, are you, right? regardless of what you think of Bruce Springsteen. Regardless of what you think of Bruce Springsteen. His early work. Oh my God. Come on. No, you no, guys, no. like Reg born in the USA. Are you kidding me? Regardless, did, did Dora have that album? Dora had that album. No, I don't know. Actually, maybe she totally had that album. She probably does. I Re got that for my album. <laughs> I got that album for my mother for Christmas, and she still has it. Interesting. Oh my god. Interesting. I'm sorry. Keep going. It's okay. You were, you were basically regardless on whether what. Where regardless of is, regardless of what yeah re regardless of what your belief is on how the current administration is doing or not, mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think it. Um, I don't think it's a far stretch to say that that 
five years ago, no one would have thought Donald Trump would be president. Seriously, right? 10 years ago, no one would have thought Donald Trump would be president. And that was one of the biggest questions when he came in was, oh my God, what is this going to do to the markets? Right? I, I don't think it would take very much uh, for, again, a population of people who think that they're unheard or who don't think that, that the federal government is important or that economics are important or whatever um, to, to cause political upheaval. I think that's one of the big things that we did not take into account during this last election is how powerful uh, those kind of forgotten voices can be when they all get together, right? So to me... Um, the idea of an economic collapse, I mean, it's super far-fetched, right? It's not going to happen. Like, I wouldn't be worried about it at all. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that that's probably more likely than... But if you than... were going to worry... <laughs> I, think that's more, I think it's more likely that... Um, I think it's more likely, like, a, a soft revolution or a soft coup all or whatever. Right. I mean, you, you know, you read some of these books that are coming out now. Um, a soft oh. coup is not far off, it sounds like. A right? soft so... coup? That's great. Yeah, is that did you read that somewhere? Is that something that you I did? No, I totally have read it many times, huh. all kind of, all over the internet. But dang, you know, seriously? so that's so that's kind that's of good. that's kind of where I guess I would think that some of these things are maybe a little bit more. Mm, and it's see? it's interesting because the economic collapse ideas are generally a more um, like a lot of these kind of uh, mm -hmm. survivalist sort of things. They're they're more tinged with let's say like libertarian leanings right there are people that think they don't need the government or they shouldn't need the government or whatever and i kind of i kind of feel that in many ways i would like my family to be self-sufficient as well you know what i mean just because i think that's you can see bargain chippy absolutely <laughs> we live a life of luxury but we live it independently marie <laughs> um, but you know i think uh, yeah what do you, no, what, what do you think I, I what do you think no i see i still disagree with you i think so i do think okay so Black Swan anonymously, anonymous. Oh my God, anonymous. Of <laughs> you get what I'm saying. That this 2016 was definitely something that nobody, well, certain people did expect, but or said could happen, but it did not. It was not. It was not something that was anticipated. But I think you are seeing in general that what happens when something like this happens is is you have sort of this this inherent um disruption right in the market mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. government in whatever it is institution and the idea of institution and the idea of what are the what are the things that we've put in place that are going to hold are tested and to me i am guardedly optimistic that if a small population pushed hard enough for down for whatever it was um that things would hold based on one self-preservation and two you know which is not necessarily a good thing but then also that that um the democracy that they have in place and the the financial institutions that they have in place if they cannot be litmus tested and there aren't things in place to hold then they'll go down but i'm i'm going to bet that they will hold See now, so this is this is kind of what I think, right? So, mm -hmm. or where I guess I would kind of push back a little bit is mm -hmm. this 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 time. I think mm -hmm. I mean generally in the American in the American political system, the difference between a, a, a deep red conservative versus a deep blue liberal on the econ on the economy ultimately are minimal in terms of their and let's say not say liberal but Democrat versus Republican economically basically mm -hmm. the same thing in many ways right um you know the, the our democrats are more conservative than the conservatives of other european parties when it comes to economics yes what so in that case in in this instance then even with say the disruption of say someone complete outsider mm -hmm. coming in and becoming president the effect mm -hmm. on the market was minimal because ultimately it's the same kind of people running the Fed, running the, you know what I mean? Like the people in charge of the economy, they're not, the disruptions here are more social than they are economic. You know what I'm uh, saying? That is until, that is until um, the government begins to, begins to um, 
shake that tree, right? Shake sure. the economic tree with things like tariffs. And tariffs, right. And, well, okay, or, okay, all sorts okay. Of things, 100%, right? 100%, right? So what I'm good, saying bad, is... Good, bad, or indifferent. Like, right, right. That, yes. That's another impulse. That's another impulse yes. to that predator-prey relationship. Yes, That'll make a change. Yes, 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 what yes. I'm saying is that right now that equilibrium is holding, mm-hmm. but how far... Like, the difference between an equilibrium holding and an equilibrium just going over the edge to the point of no return, mm-hmm. you don't realize you're at the point of no return until you're there. It, happened, it can happen so quickly. And so yes. that's, kind of the, that's kind of the point that I think is interesting is I wonder, and if any listeners are economists or, you know, know any <laughs> of this kind of stuff, whatever, I honestly, I would, I would love to hear from you and maybe even have you on the show to talk about. Oh my God, yeah. What are the, what are the <laughs> protections? If anyone out there knows anything about economy. <laughs> the thing that we spoke three episodes about. No. I mean, it's not that we're not experts, but if somebody actually, you know, like maybe took a class on this, <laughs> I'd be totally cool. I'd be totally into hearing about it. Well, okay. What I'm saying is, it, like, what are those? What are those? Back I guess to the lizard people. Sorry. <laughs> what are those protections that keep equilibrium in place? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, in the I case it's, of, it's you know, the exact same opposite thing that throws it over, right? It's it's confidence. It's like it's like with any system. And I, I again, I I look back at 2008. 2008, we were really close. There was nothing. There is no rational way that that should have self righted. I mean, even with like confidence about like, you know, I, I think if you look back and, and you took and you took public opinion at the time, they're like, yeah, let the bank fail. Let it fail. Because then, you know, it's it's karma, it's justice, it's whatever. And other Americans were like, no, 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 we can't let that happen because of of X, Y, and Z. So it's like I feel like mm-hmm. we were really close then and we had sort of that we had that um that push and pull then. And I think it, it really will come to how what it, what that factor is and i don't know if we'll i don't know if we'll see that factor that hmm. factor may be some some you know insurgency by an internal population it may be a natural disaster it could be a cyber attack it could be a whole bunch of different things so i th- i think you're right i think it could be some event but i think for any time you have one of these one of these things trigger you automatically you know, and again, maybe this is this is just my confidence and faith is that they're like, no, there's 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 systems within our government that react, that go into reaction mode on it. And again, mm-hmm. sometimes that's not good. Sometimes you come out of a system going into reaction with something like Spectrum or like NSA or, you know, something that overcompensates. Mm-hmm. But then other times you have people that are, you know, in the position to to be able to try and rectify that. And that's not to say, too, that the American government hasn't taken a lot of oversteps within the financial market as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Buy gold. Hoard it. <laughs> hoard, hoard gold till the lizards come and then hoard trade gold. them for your neighbor's and safety. bury it like pirates. Good stuff. All right. Well, Marie, this has been a fascinating topic, series, all of it. I loved it. I had a great time. I did too. And again, dear viewers, if there's anybody out there that has an opinion on this or even a learned one at that, learn it or not, we're all there for it. Yeah, we love, we love it. it. We love hearing from listeners. We Please let it. us know. And uh, we'll be back next week with our first episode in a long series, Marie, on oh, God. demons. I got to tell you, first of all, I'm just going to say my mother and your mother are not happy about this. I know. I know my mom's not thrilled. About demons? Yeah. Why? This is cool. This is because uh, do, really. Do I have, you want to ask why? Because we're going to be talking to demons. And my demonology? mom. My mom. My mom comes over our house and she's like, "I just thank God every day you haven't. You know, you're not wearing a cape. That's what my mom's happy about. <laughs> she's just. She's like, I don't. Whatever. It's fine. Just you're not full blown yet. That's all that matters. You're not straight not up like cape. Anton Lavey. You know." Um, oh, see, Tora, I'm we're try- like, yeah, oh, demons, demons, demons. Even, even my husband was like, all right, if you're going to do, okay. Because I've told, can I tell, just really quick, not allowed when I was pregnant with our daughter, not allowed to watch The Exorcist. Really? He refused. He refused. Like, I was like, oh, it's odd. And again, like, I don't, you know, like, I love me the whole, I watch, I've watched it before. I watch, oh, it's on. It's on. He's like, no. I'm like, why? And he's like, because you're pregnant. 
I'm like, what the heck is that about? He's like, I'm like, baby, you are not. First of all, we ain't. We don't go to church. No, we're not religious. No. He's like, he's like, no. And it happened like twice. And even to this day, he's like, no, absolutely not. And I'm like, is there any kind of rational, reasonable? You know, it is a Hollywood movie. And he's like, I don't care. You don't, you don't invite that into your home. You don't, inv- you don't, you don't welcome. And I'm like. We're watching The Exorcist on Netflix, dude. Like, what are you on about? But seriously? So I got a lot of people that are like, oh, great. That's fine, Marie. Why don't you just get out the Ouija board? My mom, my, okay. blood. We'll have to do, we'll have to do a listener video and show the listeners how our house is decorated all year round with uh, etchings from Dante's Inferno. But like we, if anyone is inviting it into their lives, it is my wife and I. And it hasn't happened yet. It's like a little experiment I do. Nothing's happened. Nothing's happened yet, but I'll tell you what, if, if and when you decide to get a puppy or a kid or something, you're not allowed to watch The Exorcist. Paul will know. Husband will know. He'll come over and he'll be like, turn it off! I'm more turn afraid it of- off and get a priest in here! I'm more afraid of Paul and you than Zazel or whatever. Jeez. As well, you should be. He was downright serious. I was like, why are you still here? Go get me some cobbler. And he's like, fine, but we're not watching The Exorcist. Get Anyways. me some cobbler. All right. Get me some cobbler. Dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with our episode on demons. Please, if you haven't yet, go check out Whatever Remains, Marie's podcast. It is awesome. The series is going great. How many How many do you have left here, Marie? Oh, excellent question. So I had one until this week, and then everything just sort of flared up again with, yeah. uh, with uh, speculation of what's causing it, who's causing it. Um, so this episode that should be coming out within the next couple of days is about the doctor who was the first responder in Havana. And so he's, he is the person who has made all of the initial diagnosis that has driven everything up to this point. And it's, to me, what I, what I learned and how, what I found out is interesting. And, um, yeah, and I hope you guys, I hope you guys listen to it. I think we got maybe another one or two and then we're going to solve it. Put a bow in it and then and then send it over to uh send it over to the uh, the administration and let them deal with it. Right, right, nice, good stuff. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. All right, cool. We'll go check a listen to that, and we will be back next week. Bye. Bye. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.